Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody. So everybody's trying to figure out how to follow the steps to the T. And when you come from a rule keeping type of organization, it's not just the rules of the church. You think it is. But when people leave, they understand just how deep the indoctrination is. This is Sanctified, the Littest Church service where hot girls and holiness align. And we are your hosts. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, an actor, but most importantly, I'm a lover. And I'm LaVon Briggs, Emmy Award winner, Joy Chaser, and a Queens girl. And when my old church asked me to wear stockings, I bought fishnets. And this is the kind of church that rocks with the Megan the Stallions just as much as the Mahalia Jacksons. On Sanctified, we center the testimonies of sisters who are figuring out their faith authentically. And we're going to ruffle some of the saints' feathers, y'all. But we will always leave you feeling affirmed and loved. You ready, LaVon? Let's go get them. Okay, LaVon, what's going on? How you feeling today? I am excited about today's show because it's something that's near and dear to my heart, child. And I know a lot of sisters are going through it too. How you feeling? You know, I feel good. I feel free. I think that that is something that we should sort of dig into. What is this feeling? Child, we love a liberation story, a freedom story, okay? We love getting free. And if you just need to turn to your Bible and look at the book of Exodus, okay, you will see that there are many similarities between what our ancestors in the Bible and what our ancestors like in real life (laughs) did here on American soil. And it even shows up today when folks migrate, right? There were folks who were in the North and went to the South, from the South to the North. Today, everybody's trying to move to Atlanta, (laughs) There's a great migration and a great exodus happening all around us. Because we will exodus anything, anything that is not serving us. At any time. And I think that's something really beautiful that we have learned to do, to not stay places that are not giving us everything that we need. And so what's interesting is you you spoke about it for a hot second. One of the most famous books in the Bible is Exodus. And for those of you who are not familiar, it is a story of Moses who was raised as Egyptian royalty. Mm -hmm. And then he found out who he really was. And he knew that he had a job to do. He had to help bring freedom and liberation to his people. And so that was the Exodus. And I think Black Christians really resonate with that book because We want to be free, free. Yeah. And there's just something about the strength, power, and the faith that it takes to gather your things, okay? Was it the lady in green in in Tazaki Shange's For Colored Girls Who Considered Suicide? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when the rainbow was enough, like, somebody almost walked off with all of my stuff. (laughs) Gather your stuff and exit spaces that no longer serve you. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody can get behind that, honey. Absolutely. It takes a very particular strength. And I love that you said free, free, because just free is not enough. We trying to get free, free. And it's not enough, honey. Capital F, capital R, capital E, capital E. And then again, double that thing. Okay, so let's break down Exodus. What does Exodus mean? Exodus is a mass departure of people, especially immigration. 
So then you say immigration. What is immigration? It is a departure from a place of abode, your natural home or your country, Mm -hmm. for a life or a residence elsewhere. So you're not just leaving something, but you're going somewhere else. You are headed towards a goal, a destiny. Yeah, because we all have a destiny to fulfill, child. Let's get there. So then that leads me to wonder about this Black exodus that we are hearing about and maybe have participated in ourselves, Mm -hmm. leaving behind certain religious spaces that include Black and white evangelical churches to immigrate and take up residence elsewhere. Yeah. Let's talk about this, LaVon. What do you think about this Black exodus and have you taken part in this Black exodus? Uh, child, I am here for the Black exodus. I am here for Black folks getting and staying free. And for me, growing up in the Episcopal Church, it was just a cradle sort of thing, right? Like, that's where I went with my family. But as I got older, I started to tap into different denominations and later on religious practices. But I remember when I was in college and I got super saved. I mean, saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, tongue talking, chandelier swinging. Like that's where I was. But I also got super saved, like super holy and really righteous to the point where I didn't even know how to be human. Like I was robotic with my faith. I was like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't have sex, I don't cuss, I'm holy. And it got to the point where my classmates felt like they couldn't even talk to me about things that were going on in their life. They're like, you just seem so perfect. Like you always have your things together and no one can relate to you. And I had to really sit with that and be like, well, here I am saying I'm this big fat Christian, but nobody wants to talk to me about their life. Hmm. I don't think I want to be that kind of Christian. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I definitely shifted away from the super like fundamental evangelical, you know, got to get you saved kind of faith. What about you, DJ? What have you chosen to exit when it comes to religion, faith and spirituality? You know, I think growing up where I attended church, it was always a lot of other people's opinions about your life, how you move, how you act, what you say, what you don't say, what you must and have to believe. Right. I think that for me has been my exodus, just leaving other people's opinions behind and really trying to hear from God myself and who God is to me. It makes me think of this conversation I had recently with literally one of my most favorite humans on this earth. Donald Lawrence is just, he's a friend, he's a mentor, and he has a gift to really understand where people are, what they need. And I was sharing with him recently how just a lot of the opinions of people growing up had a hold on me. And now at the point that I'm at, I said, this is the most comfortable I have ever been in my skin because I have left everybody else's opinions with them because they don't belong with me. They're not mine. And so when I figured out how to exit that and let that go and leave that there, I have been able to grow into this person that is so very comfortable in my own skin. And it doesn't mean I do everything right. I don't. I am constantly learning and trying to grow every day. But what I am is comfortable in who God made me to be. Comfortable in my skin per. Cozy with who I am. (laughs) 
Period. And <laughs> Donald was just so reassuring. And a lot of times when we have an exodus, we are alone and we need somebody to be like, hey, you're good. You're good. You're going to be all right because it's hard. And Donald, he understands how I grew up. And he's like, I'm really proud of you. It's not about tearing anybody else down, but it's about building up who you are. And he was just like, I'm proud of you. You should be comfortable in who God has created you to be. Uh, So that's that's been my little exodus, you know. You better be on a first name basis with Donald Lawrence. Come on, somebody. (laughs) It's giving relationship. (laughs) But you know, and you need relationship to be able to talk to people. Yeah, that's really good, DJ, because when people don't have a relationship with you, but they somehow force their ways of thinking, being, doing onto you, if you are, you know, journeying and still figuring things out or coming into your own, you can actually live in a way where you are living not to please God, but to avoid the condemnation of people. And so I can remember points in my faith journey where I was like, okay, just let me make sure nobody knows that I'm hanging out with such and such, (laughs) right? Let me just make sure if if I want to have a cocktail, I'm going to go to the next town over. And I got to a point where I was like, not me trying to run from the people. Child, ain't nobody got time for that. Girl. (laughs) I know that we are not alone as we are seeking to get closer to God, even if it's not within the four walls of the church. And for some of us, having to exit certain spaces means that we are choosing ourselves over that space. And the fact of the matter is, we're not leaving God. We're exiting the antiquated. I love what you said because it is time that, number one, we recognize We are the church. And so if we recognize that everywhere we go, we are a representative and we take that with us, then that means we are creating church at brunch with friends and having conversations that can lead to healing and laughter. And look, laughter is medicine for the soul. And so if you are able to do that, that is a form of church and being in a space where you are allowing God to infiltrate Yep. The scripture says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hello. It's my strength. That's what it is. And it's so funny that you said I'm going to go a town over and have a cocktail, girl. I remember being at an event. It was an after party and they had wine and whatever. And I remember thinking, dang, there's a lot of people here in the industry that knows my family. They going to have something to say if I get this glass of wine. And my friend was with me. I love me some Anika. Anika said, girl, you know what? Until you stop caring about this, she went and got a can of Coke, emptied it in the garbage, and then poured me some wine in the can of Coke (laughs) so that I can have my wine but not feel judged by anybody. It is time out for that. It really is. Sisterhood to the core. But it is time out for that. I think back at that and I laugh because... The perceived judgment, right? You think as a Christian, you're not supposed to drink. Mm -hmm. And then in college, I remember a bunch of us went out to dinner very quickly and everybody ordered something non-alcoholic except for this one homegirl, Deja. Deja ordered her a cocktail. When they came, we all looked at her like, (gasps) (laughs) 
You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I want one. But, you know, I'm not supposed to be drinking. So when you are raised in a tradition that has these really legalistic do's and don'ts, that can turn you off, right? That's not necessarily an expression of faith. That's just someone's opinion of how to live. Absolutely. The second misconception I think stems from that, which is that Black people are turning away from faith in God completely in mass. And it's not necessarily that. We're turning away from spaces that don't allow us to be human or spaces that don't affirm who we are. You know, we did this one episode, Finding Boaz in the Building or the Parking Lot, where our testifier talked about her reasons for leaving the church. Mm -hmm. She talks about still raising her kids to believe in God. So it's not that (laughs) we don't want God. Mm -hmm. We want to feel God and God's love. Yeah. And this misconception that we're just exiting because we don't want to be accountable is not the case. It's not about not being accountable. We are trying to be accountable to who we are. And if this particular church or faith space or religious center is not giving us that, then it's just kind of time to go. Exactly. These spaces that don't allow us to express and embrace and celebrate all of who we are, our Blackness, our sexuality, our dreams, our gifts, our disabilities. Those are the things that make us special. And those are the things that make us unique as God's creation. And so I really think we need to redefine and expand on what this exit actually means for us. We're not just exiting, we are immigrating and we are journeying to lands and places that really allow us to get to know who we are in God, get to understand our very unique relationship with God. So I'm on a journey to sort of let some of those things that were harmful go in order to become the greater or best version of myself, learning what I know is true about God for me. Right. And for some Black women, myself included, that includes letting go of faith traditions that cause us to feel far from God, that tell us to suppress or repress, right? And so we are actually seeking and expanding beyond the religions of our childhoods and saying, well, what was indigenous to our ancestors? What did they practice? And so whether it's West African spirituality or, you know, indigenous meditation, Black women are open to exploring spirituality that feels good. It's healing. It's very healing in those spaces. And I love that as an extension of us seeking these spaces out, we're also seeking out some maybe non-culturally traditional methods of healing. I'm thinking particularly of talk therapy. Even though Black folks attend therapy at lower rates than white folks, more of us are becoming increasingly aware of how it can help to guide us on our journey. And we actually did a deep dive about this topic in our Just Pray About It episode, so you should definitely check that one out. So I just love, love, love that we're talking about really leaning into the methods of healing that work for you. And I'm really excited for today's testifier because she is a true healer out here doing the Lord's work, child. Ooh, yes, she is. We are so pleased to introduce today's testifier, Pamela 
Merritt, who is a licensed clinical social worker and religious trauma healer. So Pamela is the creator of the Facebook support group called Therapy and Theology. She believes emotional health should not be over-spiritualized and mysticized at the expense of secular forms of treatment. Her mission is to see people made emotionally and psychologically healthy, whether it be through prayer, meditation, mindfulness, psychotherapy, or medication. These are all places where healing can thrive. So let's hear Pamela's testimony now. My name is Pamela Merritt, and this is my testimony. I was one of those church kids who was at the church almost every single day. That's where I learned about community. That's where I learned about how we are to help each other out. And then the black church for me was also a major source of anxiety and questioning whether I was living my life, quote unquote, right from the time I was a child, I was always questioning if certain actions were okay with God. I probably started questioning it seriously after my mom passed away when I was 18. My mother was really the glue who always made everything about God make sense. I was 22 when I made the decision that I would no longer affiliate myself with the church that I was brought up in. I didn't announce, I don't want to be a part of this anymore because I didn't want the shame that came with that. So I just moved far from home. Church kids don't grow up having voices. We just know how to maneuver and keep things private and secret so that it's not seen in public. So that's exactly what I fell into. Keep it private for as long as you can so that you don't upset anybody. Leaving the church that I was brought up in was a huge loss of community because that is what I was born into. In black church, your church members are aunties and uncles and grandmothers and everybody loves on you. Everybody has a hand in raising you and guiding you. When we decide that we are going to do something different, we realize that church was all we had in common. I'm having experiences outside of the church. I'm trying to have conversations with my friends and all they can talk about is church. When I left my church community that I grew up in, I gained myself. I had been given Jesus, given what to think about him, given what not to think, given what not to say, what to say, how to say it. That when I left, I just got myself back. But that was a lot of turmoil because I didn't know myself. I knew that I wanted to be a therapist when I was in middle school. I did community-based mental health for about 13 years. And then when I started doing my private practice, I realized a lot of my clients' unhealthy things that they were doing in their lives, a lot of the unhealthy behaviors or counterproductive behaviors that they were expressing or emotions that they were suppressing went all the way back to what they were taught in their church about how they should act. So I was like, maybe I should gear some of my work towards religious trauma and just finding out what toxic indoctrination has done to us as far as the way our brain works and the effect that it has had on our mental health and how that plays itself out in our lives and in our churches. 
I want everybody to feel free. And because I'm a therapist, I want to decrease and prevent as much harm as possible. If I am going to be a servant and I am going to be a representative of God, if I have something that provides liberation for the people of God, it's up for me to share that or I'm not doing kingdom work. So what I'm most proud of is being able to hear the voice of God, being able to hear the voice of my ancestors and understand what people need in the black church. My name is Pamela Merritt, and that is my testimony. We'll be right back with the fellowship after this. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with y'all. Loved your whole testimony. At one point, you mentioned that your church experience was where you learned about community. Can you talk about what you enjoyed the most during that time? I enjoyed the safety in my church community. There was love, first of all, because most of us lived in the same neighborhood, if not the same neighborhood, neighboring neighborhoods. These weren't just people that I saw at church. I saw these people on the street. I saw these people at the grocery store. All of the kids in my Sunday school class, we all went to school together. We all rode the bus together. There was a level of safety that I don't know that I've had in my life I mean, the feeling of safety, the idea of being with a group of people and not having to worry about anything because everybody got you. If your mama ain't got you, sister so-and-so got you. If your daddy can't do something, deacon so-and-so will drive you, you know? So there was a great safety in the community. I really love that because... We are a village and it takes a village to raise your children. That is such a beautiful thing to me and something that I look forward to because my son is 15, almost 16 months and being gone from him and knowing that I still have a village where he is feeling that safety and that care and that love and that support is really incredible. So in that same sort of community, You talked about your church being a rule-keeping church and how that caused a lot of anxiety for you. And I'm with you on that. Caused some for me too. What has been your process for breaking free from that anxiety? Time, patience with myself, because I didn't decide to break away from my home church until I was, or my organization until I was 22. I was like a sophomore at Savannah State University. And I had just decided right after the Labor Day holiday, I had gone home and had, didn't feel good about it. And when I came back, I was just like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that to myself anymore. But that took time because that's 22 years of hardwiring. Growing up in a rule-keeping church, everything is a do or don't. So there were a lot of things, first of all, that I didn't even know about. A lot of decisions I didn't know how to make. I just had to be really patient and gracious with myself 
because I am one of those people that believes that it's not my fault for being behind the stuff that I didn't know. Somebody was supposed to teach me that. And they didn't. And so I was in my mid-20s playing catch up, even just socially. When you grow up in church as a kid, like bona fide church kid there every day, every rehearsal, every everything, it comes with a ready-made set of friends. So you don't have to flex social skills because y'all seeing each other every day. You don't have to do any of that. There were a lot of things once I left church was just like, what do I do? Who do I talk to? Who do I trust? Do I go to somebody else's church? I don't know. Even that took me a minute. But it was just grace and patience and time. Thank you for sharing that, Pamela, because we could do a whole episode on what being a church kid taught us. (laughs) But there's a part of you when you were 22, who knew what you were leaving behind and also what you were calling in, right? Because every departure is also an arrival. And so in your testimony, you talked about rules and regulations and how they're impressed upon us. And, you know, they kind of formulate you. Even I mentioned earlier when I was talking to DJ that at one point in my spiritual journey, I was very robotic in my faith. So now that you have had time and space, what parts of Pamela have you allowed to come alive since you've left that church setting? You know, I honestly believe I didn't come alive until I left. I think I spent so much time trying to get it right, trying to look right, trying to act right, trying to talk right. My time was consumed with that. My mental was consumed with that. And every time I would mess up or somebody would point something out, then my head would be consumed with that. I think I may have thought I was alive, but I don't think I was until I made that decision. And then it was like what I welcomed was myself because before I was not being myself. I didn't know it at the time. I thought I was just making a decision not to go to this particular church and be involved with this particular organization. But no, I invited life in when I made that decision. Wow. In your testimony, Pamela, you said, I got myself back. And I think that getting yourself back is getting closer to God to me. And so I'm curious, how do you define your religious, spiritual, or faith affiliations and practices now? I am spiritually fluid. Once I got out of school, I started exploring how other people connect to God. What are some ways that people put themselves in the position of honor with the divine? And so I would read stuff about Buddhist practices and I would read stuff about meditation and I would read articles about what breathing does. And of course, my African traditional religion, because I want to know where I come from and how my people were connecting before we got kidnapped. I do altar work and tarot cards and all that stuff. And so I am a mixture of all of those things and all of those things from root to tip keep me connected. I may not believe in the theology 
of a lot of things, but the roots keep you in the ground. So, you know, I may have uprooted and planted somewhere else, but I still have roots in that. That comes from my grandmother and that comes from my mother and my aunties. That Christianity, that particular type of Christianity saved them and it was important to them. And so even though I am spiritually fluid, I am very much from Christian traditional roots. You are speaking my language in that regard. I understand the freedom that it has given them and where it brought them from. And it's okay that maybe my version of who God is and what he has done for me is different, but that foundation is still there. And I praise God for that foundation every day. I want to know, have you faced any backlash regarding your approach to healing religious trauma from the the Black community? Absolutely. You don't touch Jesus. You don't touch God. You don't question that Bible. You don't intricately look at your theology. That is not what you do. You follow it. You do it. You live it. You don't reimagine it. And so, yes, there has been, well, what is that anyway? Well, we don't, the only trauma we have is if, you know, we get stopped by the police and, you know, we have things going on in our life because we just don't have enough faith and we just need to get back to Jesus and we just need to get back to Bible. So, yes. I find that so interesting because if we recognize all the gifts that God has given us and placed in us, it's not just prayer. You can pray, but also God has anointed Pamela Merritt to understand the intricacies of your mind, of your spirit, of your heart, and be able to talk you through things that you may need. And so why is that not seen as a way? Why is that not understood to be an incredible gift from God to be used to help us grow? It's another one of the things that when it comes to what the church has to say about deconstruction and religious trauma. It's one of those falls in the category of things that the church likes to own. So if I use myself for an example, if I were doing Christian therapy, if I was operating from somebody's church, nobody would have anything to say because people would come see me and I would sit in my office and I would reinforce the doctrine that's taught at the church. It's different though. When people are coming out of the church and asking somebody to help them, because to the church, that's just a little bit too independent. Mm, Right. So it's like it is respected. It's very respected until I needle down and tell people exactly what I do and why I do it. Then it turns into, well, is that a real thing? Now, if you were coming to see me on Wednesday after Bible study and we talked about anxiety at the church house, there would be no problem with that. We would just say, you know, you need to pray and calm your spirit. But when anxiety is produced in the church, induced in the church, and the church is the catalyst, and then people come outside of it to find help, that's a no-no. You don't do that. Pamela, you are such an expert at seeing 
a piece and tying it through, right? Unpacking, unfolding. And so with your expertise, your experience, your wisdom, what have you noticed to be the most common thread of spiritual trauma among the people you work with? Anxiety and depression. Wow. Wait, let's take a deep cleansing breath, child. Big inhale. Can you say more about that? There is something about rule-keeping theology, and there is something about a theology that holds your um, afterlife in its hand. And in order to get the afterlife that we were promised, there are these things that we have to do. Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody. So everybody's trying to figure out how to follow the steps to the T. And when you come from a rule keeping type of organization, it's not just the rules of the church. You think it is, but when people leave, they understand just how deep the indoctrination is. And so they worry about making simple decisions like, should I wear this? Should I polish my nails a color? Can I wear my hair like this? Are these earrings too big? Like talk everything. And then the depression comes because people think at my age, I should be able to, or I can't believe I believed that for so long. I can't believe I wasted all of that time. What does that say about me? So we have to deal with the anxiety of decision-making because now you're making decisions on your own. You're not saying, okay, well, what would my church say about that? Okay, well, I won't do that. That's not, mm -mm. you have to sit with your thought and decide what's best for you. And when that has not been your journey, that is a very painstaking, very uncomfortable, very anxiety-producing thing to do. It's like, When you're in church and the decisions are being made, you don't feel the stress of the decision making. You feel the anxiety of doing it right. Right. You know you can't wear pants, but when you wear your skirt, is your skirt long enough? Then when you leave and you get dressed, you don't have any rules about, is this inappropriate? Is this modest? Is this? You have to determine that for yourself. And people get really worked up about simple decision-making. So Pamela, how in your practice do you help your clients learn ways to feel empowered around decision-making? Because it feels like they're figuring out where they're going. How do you help your clients get there to a place of empowerment and healing and wholeness? It's complicated because a lot of my clients don't know how to feel. Empowerment is a goal. Because we grow up in traditions where emotions that we deem bad, like anger and rage or sadness or depression or all of those feelings that we ostracize in church, what happens is you don't stop having them because we're humans. People just learn how to suppress it. So they will suppress emotions that the church calls negative By the time they get to me, they can't identify emotion at all. I spend a lot of time talking about what stuff feels like. And I've had clients go back and forth with me about, no, that's not it. Yes, that's rage. No, it's not. 
So I'll say, okay, let's talk about it. And they may tell me the same story twice and I'll say, slow it down. So when this happened, what went through your body? What did you think to yourself? What did your body feel like? And sometimes, depending on the story they're telling, they can instantly remember, I felt hot. I got sweaty. I I didn't know what to say. My throat closed up. And it's like, yeah, that's anxiety. That's anxiousness. So a lot of times it takes a minute to get to the empowerment because who teaches us in black church that we're supposed to be powerful Mm. unless we're taking back something that the devil stole? (laughs) Who's empowering us as individuals? And I don't mean who's empowering me in Jesus. I mean, who's empowering Pamela from the inside out? Who's teaching me to look inward and pull from in here and be courageous from in here and love and feel strength from myself? So the getting to the empowerment is like the ultimate goal because all of the autonomy is taken away in rule keeping theology. And then you leave, which means you get it all back at once. You don't know what to do with it. So I just spend a lot of time reassuring because there's a lot of second guessing. I spend a lot of time reframing thoughts and coming up with ways to counteract those because we may leave the church, but we bring it with us in our head. I think a lot of times there are places where we forget that it says, like, you have access to the Father. You have to work out your own relationship with the Lord. Pamela, you have taken us on a drive with some mountaintops and an understanding of a lot of the valleys. And this has been beautiful. You know, what's interesting about a lot of our spiritual and religious spaces is that it's very back and forth. So we get told we have access to God, but then On top of that, we're also given all of the stipulations for how we're supposed to go to God. And so I might have access, but I don't believe it because I also was told I was a filthy rag. I was also told not to lean into my own understanding. I was also told to put everybody else in front of me. So I don't feel good enough in my body to go before God, even with the access, because there's a certain way I'm supposed to go to God. I'm supposed to be clean. I'm supposed to be righteous. And if I believe the opposite about myself, why am I going to go in front of my daddy a wreck? Why would I do that? Why would I go before the divine a mess? No, because I've also been told that God judges. So No, I got access, but I'm not going to use it until I get myself together. And depending on where you go to church, together, maybe never. That's a very real thing. Okay, so that leads me to my last question for you. In your biggest, boldest, most beautiful spiritual imagination, what could that promised land look like for those of us who are on this journey? The promised land looks like fulfillment. The promised land looks like what makes me come alive today? Because I don't believe that abundant life is just for afterlife. 
I believe abundant life is for right now. What makes you come alive? What fulfills you? What comforts you? What makes you feel loved? That is what we can do right now. So in that ideal, it's very communal, but it's also very introspective because I believe it's the introspection that allows us to love our neighbors properly. So for me, that's exactly what it would look like. It would look like community, like Jesus community, like God community, where people are taking inventory of the inside of them and being responsible for that and then modeling that and working that out in real time with our neighbors. Everybody's doing the work and everybody is reciprocating the the love and the community. Pamela Merritt, (laughs) thank you. You're welcome. You're so welcome. I appreciate y'all so much. Thank you so much for being here on Sanctified. This was quite incredible. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of your testimony, you said, this is my kingdom work. And I was like, girl, yes, it is. Absolutely. Yes, it is. I say all the time, I got freedom papers in my pocket if y'all want them. (laughs) That's what I tell people. If you're trying to get free, come see me because I I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. That's my job. And you're doing it. Amen. Thank you so much, Pamela. Thank y'all. Many, many thanks to Pamela. We are going to take a short break, but coming up next, it's offering time. Now, child, before we get to the offering, we got some church announcements, okay? Y'all, we are so grateful for all the love you've been showing Sanctified. It's so affirming and nourishing and feels mm-mm good. Also, and we want to continue to build with y'all and welcome more of you into the Sanctified community. So we need you to do a few things. Number one, please tap the follow button so you are notified of everything that we do over here at Sanctified. Number two, Don't forget to rate us on Spotify and just tap the star and go ahead and give us five of them things. All right. And tap the bell so that you are notified as soon as a new episode is released. All right. That's it for our church announcements. Let's get into the offering. Offering time at Sanctify, y'all. This is one of my favorite times, Mm -hmm. but we need you to go ahead and put your change back in your purse. Put it away. Because here at Sanctified, we love to bring something affirming to you. Yeah. So for today's offering, I am really sitting with the idea that our breath is what we can always come back to because Pamela talked a lot about feeling and Black women deserve to feel how we feel and not be judged for it. And so I am inviting listeners to breathe through it today. Whatever that situation is, whether it's happy or sad or stressful or joyful, really take in the moment and tap into how you feel because how you feel is good and how you feel gets you to God. What I would like to offer is simply knowing that it is okay if the faith space that you have found yourself in does not fit for you. It is okay to leave. Know that God is with you and know that on your journey to wherever you're headed, your immigration, God is there too. 
I needed to know that. And I found it in my 30s. I am good and I am okay from exit to landing through the journey. It's okay. It's not being. <laughs> well, y'all, thank you for joining us on Sanctify today. This has been so nourishing. Oh, yeah. I feel good. I've learned a lot today. Did you? I did. I did too. Y'all come back next week and see who we bring on with us and bring a sister friend with you. Or two or three. Also, email us, y'all. If there is something you want us to talk about, something that you want to share that we have talked about that has been beneficial, let us know. Email us at sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com and tell us what's on your mind. And always remember, you are worthy. Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network production and operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. Editor is Ayana Angel. And associate producer is Rachel J. Pilgrim. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. <laughs>